From the Church Pension Group, this is Choose Well. Hi, my name is Krishna Dalakia, and this is Choose Well, the podcast that focuses on well-being, from maintaining physical and psychological health to being financially secure. On today's episode, we are focusing on gratitude, generosity, and abundance as pathways to social justice and greater well-being for all people. These themes are explored in the book, A Native Way of Giving. The authors, Forrest Kutch and Michael Carney, are passionately interested in helping our culture recognize the interrelatedness of people, communities, and creation. Forrest is an elder and member of the Ute Indian tribe of the Uenta and Ore Ute Reservation in northeastern Utah. He has decades of experience as a program director, planner, secondary teacher, and tribal executive, and has served as Utah's Director of Indian Affairs for 13 years. He is the Senior Warden at St. Elizabeth's Episcopal Church in White Rocks, Utah, and serves the Lord in whatever way he is called. Michael is a longtime husband, stepfather, and grandfather who grew up in Iowa and now lives in the West. After working as a preschool teacher and landscape contractor, Michael was surprisingly called to become an Episcopal priest, which eventually led him to serve on the Ute Reservation at St. Elizabeth's. Forrest and Michael, welcome! I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here. So excited to have you both here because in the book that you that will be released in the fall through Church Publishing, Native Way of Giving, really focuses on gratitude, generosity, and abundance. And this is a theme that I've really explored quite a bit in my life. So I'm really excited to have this conversation with you both today. I understand that you both are longtime friends and this book was a compilation of conversations around the kitchen table. Um, so I just wanted to start <coughs> off by asking, you know, how was your experience writing together and, and really focusing on this topic and how did you come to this topic? The conversations arose really naturally and over a period of, well, I've been here on the reservation for five years, so we've been getting together regularly during that time and just, I don't know, some people just, I find I have this affinity for uh, a common spirit, a lot of common interests and the conversation just arose really naturally. I think uh, we're soul brothers, mm. really, and and we've we've come together at this particular time uh, for a purpose, and I think that's this is part of the purpose. Yeah, and and far as like you said, coming together at this particular time, and when I was reading your book, it really kind of struck me how so much of of what you were writing was focusing on how to harness these these practices of gratitude, generosity, and abundance to focus on making changes in the world that we live in today. And, and a, a big part of the book was talking about dominant culture. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and how, how you understand that word dominant culture. My understanding goes back to a paper I wrote back in uh, 1986, where I compared the, the Ute people um, 
to the um, Mormon settlers who entered our state in um, 1847. And I showed the contrast, and the contrast indicated that our people were essentially matriarchal. Uh, Mormon settlers were patriarchal. Mm -hmm. um, we were spiritual. They came more from a scientific point of view. They were more analytical in their thinking. We were more holistic on down the line. Um, and if you look at the two comparisons, you basically see one culture is very uh, domineering in its perception of the world. Their perception was that the world was created for them to, to have power over and to manipulate. And the Indian point of view is that, well, we're connected, we're part of this world. There's an interconnectedness that, we, that is sacred and, and we have to <clears throat> be conscious of everything we do. And so that's my perception of the contrast between dominance and a more passive uh, society. I think in our culture, there's a real impulse toward control. True. And people who are good at that tend to rise up in power and leadership. And um, we see in our economy a tiny sliver of our population controls most of America's wealth. They control, uh, they or they try to control uh, ways people work, where people live, and uh, uh, increasingly they turned control toward the created world, uh, God's creation, extracting resources and the use of the land. I think there's, there are just so many signs in our current events that tell us that we're, we've reached the end of this path of control, that it's, uh, it's all gotten away from us. And whether we're thinking of the environmental cataclysms that are happening so often or the racial reckoning that's risen up in our midst, I mean, it's time for a different way, a different approach. We can't take for granted so much that we think we deserve or are entitled to. And uh, a place to begin to reorient is just to look around our lives, look around our days, and think about what we're thankful for. Indigenous people in, in the Western Hemisphere, most of them were uh, social, uh, socialist, egalitarian people. They, um, most of the time, at least my people, operated out of situational leadership rather than a hierarchy. It was a leadership that was operational according to the need so that um, the hierarchy did not get emphasized to the point of, of pure dominance and control. And then uh, everything was shared. Uh, I mentioned in the book, um, uh, the book um, by Carlos Barrios, um, who, the 2012, it's, um, what is it, it has to do with the destiny uh, of the world. He, he found that most of the indigenous people of the Western hemisphere were, um, their, their number one value was generosity, to share. Again, egalitarian societies. And so I'm offering this as an alternative to uh, a capitalist society that's gone amok and is doing 
reach the point of doing horrible danger to the earth and consequently to each other. You know, in our past conversations, I remember you saying something that really kind of has stuck with me is that wealth is giving things away. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, the, uh, the wealth of a person was determined by how much he gave away, he or she, rather than how much they retained. And um, that, that changes the, um, the whole uh, complexity of the culture, the depth and the, the, the understanding. It's, it's almost a different, it's a different world, really. It's a worldview that is so different from the dominant culture. And in a way, it's almost pointing to this concept of scarcity, right? Scarcity mindset. And in your book, there's something that you, you both write, and I'll read it from the book, is that when, when profits are the primary goal and natural resources are merely components of production, environmental destruction becomes inevitable. And the destruction accumulates over time, affecting local communities, often natives and other people of color, and creating scarcity. And, you know, I think that, that when I think about certain words like abundance, right, abundance can, can have two meanings to many different people, right, or different meanings. And, for example, abundance can be really associated with monetary gain and material possession, compared to the abundance uh, that I've read in the book and that the way that you both talk about abundance is really related to having gratitude uh, for the things that you have in life that sustain you, nature, food, water, that give you life. And that is abundance. It's, it's been quite a blessing for me. I was called here as an Episcopal priest five years ago to to serve among the Ute people. You know, a lot of the ideas that we've just discussed were things that I'd heard about, things that I'd read about, things I knew something about, but um, it has really taken this conversation, these ideas, a lot deeper into my heart to be living in this community. It's not to romanticize it because the impacts of historical trauma have interrupted and damaged the youth community in so many ways. But the foundations of relationship, of generosity, of respect for the elders, of caring for creation, those are not just words here. They're not just aspirations. They are, they are foundational. It hasn't been prosperity that's held the youths together all these years, right? Not material prosperity. It's been what you were talking about, Krishna, that abundance of relationships, that feeling of connectedness mm-hmm. among people that is, is such a richness. I kind of knew that before, but I really feel it on a deeper level now. In the book, I, um, I bring up the um, name of my most favored, treasured college professor, Dr. Matt Gift. He was a sociology professor at Westminster College, and one of the things he taught me, when I give, I get. He said, what I have observed among uh, many indigenous uh, cultures, um, third world countries, is the understanding of when I give and share, I get back. And he did not mean necessarily always um, in terms of monetary benefits. 
he was talking about the power of the universe, the power of love, uh, the aesthetic uh, powers that are beyond our understanding that come to us, uh, the, the, the miracles that happen throughout the world when we open our hearts to love and we get, truly give, then magic occurs. You know, this makes me think about something that was in the book that you mentioned about, you know, how to respond to some of the inequalities that we're experiencing in the world. And you mentioned, and I'll, I'll read from, from, from the book, an important first step in making systemic changes is to recognize the workings of the system and the parts we play into it. Only then can we begin to appreciate a different way of seeing and doing things. And so, like, I thought that was really interesting. I remember kind of taking a couple of moments on this sentence to just think about what you were saying, you know, to understand the system that you currently are in. And I think it's so easy to not think about that, right? Is to just kind of stay complacent and comfortable and not ask these, these hard and uncomfortable and difficult questions. And how am I playing a part in the system that I'm living in? And wh whether it is positive or negative. If one is unaware or is, is not paying attention, how can they understand the system that they're currently living in today. And how does awareness and gratitude play into that? I'd like to say how grateful I am for my upbringing, for my parents and my family, my sisters, uh, the community in Iowa where I grew up. I lived there till I was 19. It was an all-white neighborhood with safe streets and good schools. All the kids went home to their own houses with two parents there. The, fan, the adults didn't make a lot, but we all had plenty to get by. We had access to medical care. You know, our needs were met. I just thought this was normal. I just thought this is how the world was. I didn't see anything else. And I took it for granted. I guess I recognized that my parents were really special and loving and caring and present with us, but it wasn't until I got out in the world more and engaged with all the variety of people or began to engage, I can't say that I have yet, but uh, engaged with people from different backgrounds, different circumstances, different countries. For some white Americans, it's really unsettling to begin to recognize our great diversity, for me, it's been an incredible blessing. It has renewed my sense of faith. I have learned so much about family values and the appreciation of family from uh, people from different cultures and communities. It has brought home what you said earlier for us, that uh, gratitude is, is not just a, a material judgment. It's a deeper value. It's a, it's a posture. It's a way of seeing the world. It's a way of being in relationship. So broadening my horizons and beginning to be more intentional about giving thanks for blessings and not just taking them for granted has opened up the world for me. And from my perspective, the system has produced uh, good news and bad news. 
The good news is we enjoy a lot of modern conveniences. Our lives are made much easier. We drink pure water. We have electric power, access to good fresh food most of the time. And these are things we take for granted. What's happened is that for the middle class, those of us that enjoy those conveniences, what's happened is we've come to take them for granted. If we, if we don't experience a contrast, if we don't experience some pain and suffering in our lives, we get too comfortable. And we, we expect that the, um, when we wake up, uh, the air is always going to be fresh. Uh, we turn on the, the sink and the water is always going to come out. And we open the refrigerator with fresh food. We, we expect those things and we take everything for granted. Now, among the more affluent people, that's where the real danger occurs because uh, it just produces a bunch of spoiled brats mm. that grow up wanting more and more, and they consume more, and they uh, discover how to exploit the earth more and more so that we're continuing to, to feed our bellies and our egos at the expense of poor people and the earth. So what happens is a complete detachment we, we lose our feelings and, and compassion, and then we get detached, completely detached to the point where we're capable of killing people or doing, making horrible decisions that are harmful to not only uh, people, other cultures, but the earth itself. And that's when it becomes very dangerous. These are times that require people to reconnect with our hearts, reconnect with God the Father, our Creator, and to ask for help because it's going to take uh, help from beyond in order to correct this situation. Both you and Michael have mentioned this word connection and disconnection. And I think that you're absolutely right. When there is some form of disconnection, it's easy to ignore and turn away from and to walk around with your blinders on. And, you know, I, I see it every day. You know, it, it, it is hard to look at someone in their eyes while you're walking down the street or maybe it's because I live in New York City and no one looks at each other but it's like it's to the the most like basic simple form of like connection with gazing and smiling at someone right and maybe that's maybe that's a starting point but going back to what you mentioned Forrest about the the appreciation for things like water it reminds me of the the part in the book where you describe and talk about the Sundance Festival. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of the Sundance and how it ties in with bringing appreciation for the things that you have and nature? Yes, the Sundance is uh, one of the most sacred ceremonies practiced by mostly Plains Indians. That dance is a three, sometimes four-day fast without food and water in the middle of the summer. You're supposed to dance uh, constantly throughout the dance and seek only some shade uh, when the night comes or after you've exhausted yourself pretty much. Uh, you're supposed to give yourself to the dance and, and encounter, you encounter horrible suffering. And after the second day, you really come to realize the importance of uh, air, cool, fresh air, water, and then uh, food. Uh, sometimes you'll you get a whiff of food that's being cooked in a nearby camp and it will really um, pull on your stomach. And by the third day, you're, you're desperate. You really 
uh, need water, you're, you're spitting cotton, or, or you're completely dry, you're desperate, about ready to give up, and then you have to call on the power of your spirit, the Holy Spirit of God the Father to help you get through the dance. When you're about ready to give up, you look over and you see your relatives, especially old grandmas praying for you, and then you gain uh, strength from that, and somehow you're able to get through uh, to the end of the dance. And it really teaches you to appreciate things, small things like a, a cool breeze, the, the, the smile of a, of, a, of a grandmother or a grandfather uh, or a child. It teaches you to appreciate everything in life. And it's just a wonderful dance. And I'm just proud that I participated, my sons participated, my, my father, my uncles, we, we continue that tradition. And my people continue that tradition and uh, it's a good tradition, and I think, I think that's part of the answer, that you, you get so used to the comforts in life that you need to in, undergo some suffering once in a while. I think it's a good thing to fast uh, one or two days just to appreciate water, just to appreciate food, just to appreciate uh, relationships with your family and other people. It's, it's a good thing, and I think our culture needs to... to embrace some of those things. And I think that from what I hear you saying, it's giving thanks is a form of gratitude that can also help rebuild connection. Absolutely. Rebuild connection to your community, to nature, to the resources that are available and not abuse them. And you know, we have that as Americans, we, we have wonderful values of including new people coming in amongst us. But when we get caught up in fear and scarcity, it, it just throws us off track. We're offering the possibility of practices of gratitude, generosity, and abundance as a, as a different way of being together. Michael, you had mentioned before this beautiful story related to, to grief. And I think that part of the difficulty of turning towards the suffering and sometimes the grief is that it's difficult, right? It's difficult to hold space for it, but it's also difficult as a person to stand by who is not in the suffering to stand by beside it. It's been a a gift and a privilege for me as an Episcopal priest to be honored by people to be invited into these tender spaces in their lives, these moments of trial and suffering. Back when I served in the suburbs of Denver, it, it happened a lot in the intensive care unit, you know, in the emergency room, when terrible things would happen and there was no escaping them. There was no being in control uh, when someone received a cancer diagnosis or was critically injured in a car accident. In those situations, I was not, those were not things I had personally experienced in my life, but I came to learn how to be, simply be present with those people because there were times when they happened with people I loved, people I knew, or or even sometimes just with strangers I had just met. But 
just by being present with them, it meant a great deal. I experienced a different version of that coming to the Ute Reservation where one of our pastoral functions is to join in the elaborate funeral rituals of the Ute people. They are heart-rendingly beautiful, lasting over a period of days and involving vast extended families. And uh, those situations were so uncomfortable for me at first. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea who I was there or what I was supposed to do. It took my own spiritual grounding and it took bridge people like Forrest and others who could help me understand that I just needed to show up. I just needed to be there. I just needed to pray when they asked me. I just needed to listen. These are not qualities that men are exactly trained for, you know? Our path is, a, uh, our, our typical path is much more assertive and dominant and uh, dynamic. I'll tell you, it's it's been an incredible blessing for me, although um, painfully gained learning and growth. Dr. Matt Gift taught me this concept of self-awareness. He taught me that that's the key to uh, me maintaining my mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health, to be aware of what's happening uh, in and around me at all times. And when our, our society produces people that are too busy, too busy running for the next gratification, too busy trying to find this or that uh, more and more satisfaction, we get lost and, and we get disconnected with what's happening. And consequently, that's what's happened in our society. That's the whole key. Is, is for all of us to become more self-aware of who we are and to that we are sacred. We are sacred because of the Lord creating us. And as long as we maintain that connection with the Lord, we can accomplish great things. We can ac- overcome uh, lots of, a lot of challenges and obstacles. But when we dis- disconnect, then that's when the trouble begins. Mm-hmm. And it also sounds to me that part of the possible solution to that is slowing down and using practices like prayer and meditation and mindfulness and sitting in nature quietly to observe, to observe yourself and to observe your relationship with the environment around you. I love how you've both brought us back to faith. What struck me when you're talking is this old saying that the opposite of faith is doubt, as if faith were purely an intellectual exercise, right? Getting it right. I like much better this saying that the opposite of faith is fear, because fear breaks relationships. Fear leads to that kind of disconnection and separation. Krishna, the practices that you, you just named, very different. It was quite a variety in just one listing. But they all are ones that build relationship with the Creator, with uh, open us up to the working of the Spirit, draw us closer to Jesus, to the compassionate heart of Jesus. I think the great variety of American people from folks who would never identify themselves as being religious to those who practice in a whole variety of traditions 
there's something in common there about that connection to the one who's greater than us, to the spirit that moves among us, to the heart of compassion that heals us and helps us to become healers. The youth people and others that I've served with have, have built this up in me so strongly. The ones that I get to share church worship with and ones who would never turn up there. But it's, uh, it's just a, a precious gift. And you mentioned the word compassion, which I think is, um, is an interesting and confusing word for a lot of people because really like the question is, what is the difference between compassion and empathy. And empathy is an emotion where when you sit beside suffering, you yourself suffer because of the suffering you see. And versus compassion, which is an act of sitting beside suffering and wishing healing and joy. And because you wish that healing and joy it brings you a sense of joy and healing. And I think that in the world that we live in today, and if we are to, to move forward and right some wrongs, we need a little bit of both. We need a little bit of compassion and a little bit of empathy. And the empathy part is needed because I think we need to feel the suffering in order and to change. What, what, what comes to mind is... Um, I think I mentioned this in the book, too, that what, what my mother uh, told me one time. She, she said, you know, the Utes have a belief that um, someone is always watching over the Utes. Uh, we never come out and say God the Father or anything. We just say someone is always looking after the Utes. And I think the truth is that, that God is looking after all of us. It's just uh, whether we connect with them or not. And sometimes it's... it's there's going to be a lot of suffering and takes place before you make that connection. But um, he, she is, is always with us, and we have to call upon that power to help us. I don't know. I think what happened with my people is they, and also with the Shoshone, who were victims of a horrible massacre, the um, Bear River Massacre, uh, one of the largest massacres in western United States, Anyway, what happened is we, we lost everything to the point where we, we, were, we were completely helpless. We were standing in the, in the winter with nothing. And there was nothing but our lives and our, our spirits to call on God. And we did. We called on God the Father, our Creator, and said, help, help us, help us get through this. And we're here today. And that's all I can say. So somehow, when you're at your lowest, that's what you have to do. And um, that's what gets you through. And you, you also said that however little they had, they shared it. Always. Whenever anyone had food, everyone ate. I, I just, I, I really love the way that we're kind of segueing into, we all go through really hard times in our lives, individually and as a community, depending on the community that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. And um, part of, of coming out of it is, again, finding connection. And, um, and that is, you know, far as like you said, asking for help, and you said it so beautifully, and also reaching out to ask for help. 
to yep. God, to higher spirit. And then I think that it kind of like really beautifully flows into this topics of generosity and gratitude and abundance because sometimes when you're at your lowest and you're looking to feel better and get your, get out of it, the, the, the best thing you can do is to just look around you and look at what there is to be grateful for, yeah. right? Because there's always something. It could be, you know, we have a, we had a, a recent webinar done by um, Jean Denton on the topic of caregiving um, especially related to dementia, and she said she talked about this concept of mindfulness and gratitude. And she said that, you know, when her husband was sick, and um, he would have an accident, and um, he would, you know, he would urinate on himself. And she said she she said it so beautifully. She said that I would just look at the way the urine on his pants changed color. And I, you know, I was mindful and I felt grateful to just observe the shift in color. And it could be something that is maybe looked at as uncomfortable, right? Like looking at something like that and finding, finding something to be curious about. Uh, something maybe that's beautiful in something that's maybe not a beautiful situation. Well, and as you mentioned earlier about grief, I mean, imagine the grief of caring for your beloved spouse and watching them slip away from you in their capacity to interact. Um, how heartbreaking that must be. And to see them suffer the indignity of uh, not being able to care for themselves in the most basic ways. That's heavy stuff. It shows a real spiritual capacity and depth for a person to be able to stay grounded, stay positive so they can be helpful and not be paralyzed by it. And to me, in order to see what's around you, you have to reach deep into your own soul, deep into your own spirit. You have to find the beauty and power that's there, that which is sacred, in order for you to appreciate what you see beyond outside yourself and you will see that not only is it separate from but it's a part of you mm. so part of that mm -hmm. um, urine on the pants of that loved one also is part of her part of us part of human suffering part of what we have to go through in life and so then it takes away uh, any loss of dignity it takes away all of that nonsense to, and then what it puts in place is love and understanding and compassion. Mm. And as, as we kind of move towards the end of this podcast, I was wondering, you know, what advice would you give to someone that is looking to shift the way they think and see the world and perhaps prioritize using the lens of gratitude, generosity, and abundance, some practical ways to start? Think about how we use our time. What do we spend our time on? Who are we in relationship with during that time? Money is an obvious and powerful symbol, and it's important to be generous with money. I, I don't want to push that to the side, but um, in some ways, time is what feels really scarce to a lot of people in the, in the mainstream culture. And... Uh, sort of taking an audit of how we spend our time 
and what's the quality of our relationships and how we can invest in them by spending time together. Mm-hmm. I, it almost reminds me of um, like what nurtures you, what depletes you, and what feels mm. like it's neutral throughout the day, and maybe kind of taking notes of that as you, as you move on with your day. Another thing that I, I really liked that you said in your book was put a post-it note what we you know what are you grateful for right now at this moment and i've been doing that personally and i found that really helpful so it could be on your fridge or your mirror in the bathroom um, it's a great way to start things like journaling and through cpg uh, through the the resources offered through cpg on the e-learning center we have courses on resilience uh, that focus on um, gratitude and um also, we have courses on SMART goals, which also cover the topics of resilience and mindfulness. And so if you are looking to learn a little bit more, I'd suggest that that's a really great place to start. And, and the great thing about Boris and Michael is if you'd like to learn more from them, their book is going to be released in the fall through Church Publishing. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Theme music for our podcast is by Fran McKendry. Be sure to visit the e-learning library and learning center on cpg.org for wellness resources. And please join us again for Choose Well. The views and opinions expressed by guests of Choose Well are their own and do not represent the views and opinions of the Church Pension Fund or its affiliates, collectively the Church Pension Group. Neither the Church Pension Fund nor any of its affiliates, collectively, CPG, is responsible for the content, performance, or security of any website referenced herein that is outside the www.cpg.org domain or that is not otherwise associated with a CPG entity. You've been listening to Choose Well from the Church Pension Group.